chapter 6, verse 1. Will you read along with me, please? Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When either a man or woman, notice that, ladies, consecrates an offering to take a vow of a Nazarite, he shall, uh, excuse me, <coughs> to separate himself to the Lord. And let me do this. As I read this, let's just, just for fun, this is the call and response. Every time I say the word separate or like it, just say it back. Okay? Does that make sense? So I just want to see if you're out there. You should be a lot louder than me, because there's one of me, got a little microphone, and lots of you. So here we go. Starting in verse 1 again. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say to them, When either a man or a woman consecrates an offering to take a vow of a Nazarite, to separate... Separate. Really, that's all you got. (laughs) To separate... Separate. Himself to the Lord. He shall separate... Himself from wine and similar drink. He shall drink neither vinegar made from wine nor vinegar made from similar drink. Neither shall he drink any grape juice, eat any fresh grapes or raisins. All the days of his separation, Separation. he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine. Don't even watch those cartoons about the singing grapes. From seed to skin. (coughs) I added that. You got that. All the days of the vow of his separation... No razor shall come upon his head until the days are fulfilled in which he separated himself to the Lord. He shall be holy. Then he shall set the locks of his hair of his let the I'm sorry let the locks of his hair of his head grow all the days that he shall separate himself to the Lord. He shall not go near a dead body. I know that's real rough. He shall not make himself unclean even for his father or mother. For his brother or his sister, when they die, because his separation Separation. to God is on his head. All the days of his separation, Separation. he shall be holy to the Lord. And if anyone dies suddenly beside him, and he defiles his consecrated head, then he shall shave his head on the day of his cleansing. On the seventh day he shall shave it. Then on the eighth day he shall bring two turtle doves, two young pigeons to the priest, to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And the priest shall offer one as a sin offering, the other as a burnt offering, and make atonement for him, because he has sinned in regard to the corpse. And he shall sanctify his head that same day. He shall consecrate to the Lord the days of his separation, (coughs) excuse me, and bring a male lamb in its first year as a trespass offering, but the former days shall be lost, because his separation was defiled. But now, this is the law of the Nazarite, when the days of his separation are fulfilled. You guys are losing steam here. He shall be brought to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall present his offering to the Lord. One male lamb in its first year without blemish is a burnt offering. One ewe lamb in its first year without blemish is a sin offering. One ram without blemish is a peace offering. A basket of unleavened bread. Cakes of fine flour mixed with oil. Unleavened wafers anointed with oil. Their grain offering with their drink offering. Then the priest shall bring them before the Lord. And offer sin offering as burnt offering. He shall offer the ram as a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord. With the basket of unleavened bread, the priest shall also offer its grain offering, its drink offering. Then the Nazarite shall shave his consecrated head at the door of the tabernacle of meaning. And shall take the hair from his consecrated head and put it on the fire, which was under the sacrifice of the peace offering. And the priest shall take the boiled shoulder of the, lamb, of the ram, one unleavened cake, from the basket and one unleavened wafer, put them in his hands of the Nazarite after he has shaved his consecrated hair. 
And the priest shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. <coughs> Excuse me. They are holy for the priest, together with the breast of the wave offering and the thigh of the heave offering. After that, the Nazarite may drink wine. This is the law of the Nazarite, who vows to the Lord the offering for his separation. Separation. Just checking to see if you're still there. And besides that, whatever else his hand is able to provide, according to the vow which he has taken. So we must do according to the law of his separation. Separation. Mm. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the children of Israel and I will bless them. Would you pray with me, please? God, you are so good. In the midst of a fallen, crazy world, in the midst of a place, Lord, where suffering abounds, where confusion arises, we are reminded and thankful this is not our home. And we crave for a place with no suffering, no trials, no place where we have to deal with ourselves and not like it. No place where we're confronted with weaknesses we wish we didn't have. And Lord, here in this fallen, dingy, mixed up world, you give us glimpses into heaven. You give us little moments when in the midst of the raging waves around us, you pull us out and put us in a place that just is so different that all the rages inside of us is put at peace. All the confusion is put at right. All the weakness turns to trust. And Lord, here in this room, you know every one of us. You know those of us right now who are just knife and fork in their hands, ready to feast on your word. And you also know those right now that are sitting arms crossed at the table saying, what am I even doing here? And you know how to speak fluent us. So God, I pray you would captivate every one of us. Every one of us, right at our heart of hearts, right, Lord, where we need to hear you, where we need to see who you are or what you have for us. Lord, today, as we sang, open those eyes of our hearts. Lord, let our ears be open to receive what your spirit would say to the church today. Lord, I pray that we would have so much fun in your word, that it would burst open and come alive. And and Lord, that every one of us would walk out of here seeing the glorious relevance of this chapter in our lives today. God, I pray today that you would not leave any of us alone. For those that have come for comfort, bring comfort. For those who have come for answers, be the answer. Be the comfort. 
For those who have come today, Lord, and they don't even know why they're here, show them why. Bring salvation to this room, Lord. Bring life to this room. May we be in it, and may we get it. May we really get it today. Lord, for whatever struggle anyone's gone through today, shed a shaft of light upon it by yourself, who you are. And put everything right, I pray. And so, Lord, I submit myself to you. Redeem every second. Don't let it go a minute beyond, nor a minute before. But let every word be selected by you. Have your way now, I pray, Lord. And may we just have just enjoy ourselves. May it go quickly and rightly by. But may we walk out of here full, enriched, edified, strengthened, encouraged, at peace, full of hope, full of joy in your presence. Because today, in this moment, you have chosen to stop the rage around us and show us heaven. So in that, today, meet us now. Have your way, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. I would say today, as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. This isn't about some guy calling himself an expert. Hold me accountable by this book. But you can bet if I'm going to say that about me, I'm going to say that about everything. Man, can you imagine if every time you listen to the news, you held it up to the word of God, what would happen? What happened every time somebody was on TV wagging their Lame 3,000 pound coat? And I mean that by money, not just heavy. And you held it up to the word of God, what would happen? You know what I've learned? That when I hold things up to the Bible, things get simple, not confusing, ironic, from what I was told before I actually opened it up. Okay, so get this. A whole generation of people were born slaves. Not a single one of them wasn't born a slave. For 400 years, the nation Israel were slaves. That means every single person, that's what we were raised in. It's all we knew. It's all our dads knew. It's all our grandpas knew. All our nans knew. It's all we knew. Slavery. And in that slavery, God raises up an individual to take us out. But please understand, God is about deliverance, not about removal. I find it funny because sometimes you could go to something called the deliverance service. Now, I don't want to bag on someone else's business. But if the whole thing is just to remove something, then they should call it a removal service. I got in, I got sore leg. Well, I'm struggling with lust. Well, I got a problem with this. I'm going to go to a deliverer. Well, look at Scripture doesn't say you were removed. It says you were delivered. Out of the power of darkness, into the sun he loves. You were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord because he delivered you from the power of death to the one he loves. And it isn't just that you were removed from a bad place to a good place. It isn't like you were in some freezing place and, you know, you were in Yakutsk and you hated snow and God put you in California. You were delivered from something rotten to Jesus. That was it. Understand that. It wasn't like you were in the, under the power of darkness and now you're just a nice light person. You're bubbly and light. 
God had called you out of the darkness into the sun he loves. Now understand, here becomes the problem. Is that there are a lot of people out there wandering, wandering around telling people, and this is what a lot of people view Christianity as, and I've learned this out on the streets sharing Jesus with people, that the majority of people who talk to me don't have a personal experience to wag in my face, but they'll say, I heard. Or actually, I heard. I heard about a person, right? And they start going and telling you this story. But isn't like, well, what if priests are all doing this and that? What about the Inquisitions? I'm like, how old do you think I am? So I really look like somebody that was around when Crusaders were out? I'm like, where are you from? Germany. I'm like, how about those Nazis? And they're like, well, don't bring that up. Why? Because you aren't one. Right. I get it. Well, I'm not a Crusader either in that sense. Please hear me. That though everyone's got their thing, what they see are people that somehow, like, I don't do, I don't do, but they don't see him going in. And that's exactly what Moses would say to God. He goes, you know, but if they die en route, you know what people are going to say? He got him out, but he couldn't get him in. So what happens is the out is, well, I don't sleep with anyone anymore unless I'm married. And then it's just them. And I don't get drunk anymore. I don't do drugs anymore. I don't even see rated R movies. And then you're talking to somebody who that's the only fun they have. Right? And they're like, so what do you do? And they say that, of course, like you're like feeding them kale and they hate vegetables. They're like, what do you do? You're like, oh, I, I read my Bible. What? Yeah, I, I go to church. What? And that's your substitute? It isn't. Jesus is what we've been delivered to. Do you get that? Don't miss that. See, the reason I stopped smoking pot is because I didn't want it anymore. True story. I sat in a room, everyone was lighting up, and I looked and said, that doesn't even smell good anymore. You smelled good yesterday. I don't even want this. All y'all losers. Now, granted... I had a lot to learn. Like, but the whole point was I just didn't want it anymore. I was full. The Bible says to the hungry soul, even the bitterest thing is sweet. If a Christian is hungry, sooner or later his shoe will look good. If Mike's hungrier, Christian's shoe will look good. But when you're full, you can walk by that place that serves your favorite dessert and go, even that doesn't smell good. You ever been there? I walk by a Brazilian barbecue. I got to tell you, mm, it slows me down. <laughs> it just slows me down. I smell barbecue. I'm, I don't know if it's an American thing. But I just, mm, hold on. Let's just stay here for a second and meditate. Mm. But when you're full, it's the only time that pace stays the way it is. And you watch it with Christ. And he gets you out. But there's a process in between leaving and going in. And you know what happens? The old man has to die. That's the whole point. That old generation that left is so obsessed with the slave we were. We can't even grasp the person we're supposed to be anymore. And so you know what we are? I'm an ex. You're an ex? 
That's how we're identified. That's like being identified by your tombstone. I'm an ex-alcoholic. But what are you now? I don't know. I just That's all I know is what I was. Really? Funny, because when Jesus was on a mountain and a bunch of people were brought to him, paralytics, possessed, powerless people brought to Jesus, Matthew chapter 4, and he heals them. Piles of crutches and chains and cots that will never be needed again. He turns to me. You know the first thing he says? Chapter 5, Matthew, blessed. Blessed, 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 blessed. Do you even realize you're that? Could you imagine if that was the answer? So what are you now, D? I'm blessed. Well, we forget about that. Because see, you could be an ex-alcoholic and not be blessed. They'll be like, mm, what's your program? I did the one step. The one step. It's the one step program. I stepped right into Jesus. And he scooped me right up. And I'm blessed. The book of Numbers is a rough book. Because it's a book that prepares us for battle. First two chapters, he numbers the people for war and then puts them in their place. Chapters 3 and 4, he numbers the priests and then puts them in their place. Chapters now, as we have it, 5 and 6, he cleans the camp and puts it in its place. Remember chapter last week, for those of you around, chapter 5, God says there were certain things I want out of the camp because they're contagious and they're dangerous. Primarily that of a leper, that, by the way, of a person with issues, and that doesn't mean like, you got issues. But the issue is like you're bleeding or you're oozing something. By the way, you may be aware of the fact the majority of people who did that, the, majority, the major cause of that more than anything was sexually transmitted diseases. So we don't want that in the camp. The idea of it, as long as you have that issue, you don't want to be contagious. We don't want you in the camp. And the third is those that are rolling around dead people. Interesting, because now there's the other side of it, chapter 6. And I love the fact, listen, God is not a God of nots. He's a God of instead ofs. And if all you think God is is a God of nots, no wonder why people, including yourself, might not be that excited about him. It's like, well, I don't party anymore. And that became a verb, right? Now, party, right? I was like, well, what do you do then? I had a friend that says, you know, we party to forget, but we celebrate to remember I'm like, I'll tell you what I do instead. I celebrate. I celebrate because I don't have to flee from anything. I'm not trying to run from anything. I'm not trying to escape anything. I lay it down before Christ and everything's beautiful. And he goes, but in this camp now, and understand God's doing something crazy. He's building a society. Imagine if God wanted to build a society of people. He was like, I don't want a place that where we are going to be together to be a place where everybody gets sick and injured and hurt and dies. And he goes, but the first thing is, can I, can I be in the center? Can I be in the center of your camp? That's the whole point of it. And that's where God's been starting. He's like, and understand, what if you were the city? If your heart was the camp? And God's like, can I not just be like a ventricle? Can I not just be like a vein that somehow sucks from it? Can I be the very center of it so that everything happens there? And if I were an enemy looking at Israel, I would look for their commander at the center and I'd go, that's their commander. If I were to look and say, where's their king? That would be the guy in the middle. It's like, that's their king. That's their... No wonder why when Israel asks for a king in 1 Samuel, and at that point, <coughs> Samuel's all bent out of shape. And God's like, why are you getting twisted? They didn't deny you. They, did, they denied me. They're like, we want a king. And God's like, I've been your king. And you've never lost the battle as long as I was your king. Now you want a tall guy in my place? 
That'll do it for you. Someone you can touch. Someone you can feel. And don't we do that? God's at the center of the camp, but you're like, I gotta touch something. I gotta smell something. I want something I can feel. And you know, and of course, it sounds really nice for me, right? I've been married almost 25 years, and you're like, I just need to get married. And I'm like, you know what? Marriage isn't gonna complete you. Jesus is gonna complete you. Let Jesus be your man. And you're like, yeah, whatever, you're married. But there are times where you're like, yes, Jesus is my man, and I just love him, and I'm just so into it, and things are so good, they're so rich. And then you're like, mm, I just gotta get me a man. And God's like, you know, and they're like, I just feel so alone telling Jesus. Now, is that a little ironic? You're there barking to God who's there with you at the moment. You're like, I am so alone. And God's like, who are you talking to then? How could you be alone and talk to me at the same time? He goes, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And I want to be everything. And can I just say this? Until the Lord is everything, you are in a dangerous place to jump in a relationship. Because what will happen is, you'll jump in to suck. You're like, hi, I'm empty. Who are you? And they'll be like, well, hey, nice to meet you. I'm empty too. What happens when two things suck on each other? The best thing you get is that the two become the others and they go back and forth. You don't have enough for each other because that hole can only be filled by Christ. <clears throat> that hole's way too big for a human being or an organization or a religion or anything like that. Only Jesus can fill it. But let's get to this chapter, because it's really rather simple. In the last chapter, he's like, if we're going to live together, or if we're going to camp together, I don't want it to be a place where we get sick. I don't want it to be at a place where you go, and you're like, oh, and people say, oh, I don't want to go to church, because I know what's going to happen there. And it's not like a good thing. Too many hypocrites. I'm going to go to the bar. And you're like, <laughs> right. You don't want to go to church, because there's hypocrites there. Remember, that means to wear a mask. I'm going to go to the bar, right? Where everybody's wearing like a, you know, foundation. Why do they call it foundation? That's the stuff you build on. I'll do respect, ladies. You're like, wow, that face is a lot smaller when you took all that off. But you won't go to church. Here's the point. Is that, what if I can't be a priest? I can't, I mean, we're, we're born into this nation, if we were Jewish. But I couldn't be born as a priest. I mean, I couldn't choose it. I was just born. I was born a Levite or not. Of those families, I couldn't be born into, I couldn't choose one versus another. I'm born into a slot. I'm born into whatever that place God chooses for me. And can I just say this? <coughs> as a Christian, you have to be born into the family. That's why Jesus says you have to be born again. You can't just sort of pick it. You got to be born. Well, once you're born into the family, God's already got a slot for you. Hey, there's some that are going to be priests. There are some that are going to be evangelists. There are some that are going to be prophets. There are some that are going to be pastor teachers. There are going to be some that are going to be apostles. They're out there planting churches. There's some that are going to be out there singing for Jesus. There are going to be some out there rapping for Jesus. Some out there dancing for Jesus. There are going to be some that are going to be out there handing out leaflets. And can I just say this? Let's just put a rule out here. And I don't put a lot of them, but let's put one rule out here. Do not diss somebody preaching the gospel if you ain't doing it at all. Someone sits there and goes, oh, that guy's just crazy on the street. And I'm like, well, what are you doing? Nothing but sitting, oh, come on. That's the fat guy sitting on the couch telling guys how to play football. It's like you can't even kick a ball. You can't even see the ball if you're standing up. I'm not trying to pick on you. The point is, if somebody's doing the job, let them do the job. Get out there and do your job. But you can't pick what you are. Does that make sense? That's the part that we say, well, that chosen, that's the part that God does. I didn't pick being a pastor, but I sure am thankful I get to be one. 
Because I'd be horribly irritating doing what I do any other position. Because I'd be like, I'm just concerned for you. Concerned for me. But I'll tell you what I can pick. My devotion. And here's the beautiful thing. Please hear me on this. The whole matter of this, the beef of this chapter... Is about a group of people. He's like, no matter where he's placed you, whether you're Gad or Naphtali, whether you're on the east side or west side boys and the east end girls, or whether you're a south side boy, or whether you're a Levite, whether you're a Kohathite, wherever you are, you could be a lousy one if you want. Or you could be a good one. And God rates that by devotion. And this chapter, notice, ladies, it doesn't say if a man, but it says if a man or a woman. He goes, it doesn't matter where you start out or what your slot is, you can be consecrated, separated. Wouldn't it be better if you were just great? Let's face it, if you had a great dentist but a terrible hygienist, wouldn't that be terrible? Because doesn't she do most of the work? The dentist kind of comes in and he goes, let's see now. Yeah, she did a pretty good job. Looks like, all right, let's look. Okay. And he leaves and he give him money or whatever. But she's the one cleaning and scrubbing. And, and this is how you floss if you don't or whatever. Right? And hypothetically, I've been, right? And so, you know, or whatever. And she does. And the reason I say that is that girl's doing all this work. But what if she were terrible at it? But the, you'd still think, well, that dentist is terrible, right? Even though he may not have done much. Aren't you thinking, well, they all do their job well? What if you're going to get surgery, but the anesthesiologist, I can't even say it now, anesthesiologist, obviously, um, is terrible. They're like, I don't know, sugar water, you know, methathine. Oh, let's do sugar water for you, because I think that'd be fun, right? And you're like, that count back from 100. Three, two, one. Now what, right? And they're like waiting to, to you know, because every person has to work well. The doctor that says scalpel. And they hand him a spatula, right? And you're like, oh, what's this? They're like, ha, ha, I was just joking. I mean, the point is, we all should, and aren't you thankful that's the way your body's supposed to function? How many parts of your body have to function bad before you stand up and take notice, or lay down, or curl up and take notice? Well, it takes one. But somehow as a body, we could get to this point where we think, well, as long as the pastor's in, we're good. Understand, church is not a place where we just go and it's like the new movie. We go and watch some guy do his thing for a little bit and we walk away and pretend. This is supposed to be the place where we actually practice on each other our spiritual gifts. Isn't that a weird thought? Because who better to forgive you if you do it wrong than each other? We have to. It's like, you know, imagine if we fell in love with each other the way God called us to. Because we were so in love with God, we just wanted, we were so overflowing, we just had to dump it somewhere. You're like, man, I just want to pray for you. I just want to encourage you. I just want to, I don't even know what. I just want to do something cool that involves Jesus and you. Now, I'm not just talking about you're a guy and you're looking around and going, her. I want to do something really cool with her. And the point is, when you're full of the Lord, he's going to point out the person. But what if we were like that? Well, let me warn you. When God said separate, and you said it, separate, separated, separated, separates, Right? Did you notice he didn't say separate from as much as he said separated to? And that's really important. Because the whole idea of holy, the whole idea of separated, is who you're separating to. Not just what you're separating from. And if you miss that, well then you actually miss the idea of the instead of. Does that make sense? So here's the deal. What God didn't say was, all right, separate yourself from all of these things and then maybe we could get close. 
What God said is, if we are going to get close, those things aren't going to hang around very long. And that's the point. Because see, in the presence of God, some stuff just doesn't hang real well there. Does that make sense? Understand, at the end of this then, of all the places he could pick, he's like, now let's go bless the people. Did you get that? Now there is one guy that we know in scripture was a Nazarite. Does anyone know his name? Samson. Samson. Very well, nicely done. She's on the praise team. I just want to point that out. (laughs) And he even knew it. And what God's going to show us here, there are th- God works on a three-strike policy. God doesn't just say, don't cut your hair. And that's the way we read it when we do the coloring books. Well, Samson, and I love it because they always make Samson like gigantic. Right? Like, he's like, I'm going to tear up. Right? And then it's like they cut his hair and then he like turns into like the opposite. He's like, you know, Captain America backwards or something. <coughs> but if that were the case, then why would they have to say, what's the secret of your strength if he's so gigantic? I kind of get the idea he was a little scrawny guy, which would be even cooler, wouldn't it? He's like, I'm going to go and I'm going to tear apart, you know. And he like rips up a couple things and he's like, <laughs> like they're like, Samson, they're like, what? Come, what? When, in Judges 13, when God speaks to Manoch, which by the way is Samson's um, parents, it says, Behold, you'll, you'll conceive and bear a son. No razor will come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he even knows it, because in Judges sixteen seventeen, when he speaks to Delilah, that little doozy, he said to her, No razor has ever come upon my head. I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I'm shaven, then my strength will leave me. And what you'll find out, by the way, is that Samson stro- struck out. He, you, he w- that was his third strike of the three. Look at the three things. So what if it's, and here's the cool thing. See, God just kind of assumes that when you said yes to him and this marriage proposal that he placed himself in, that he actually kind of thought maybe you'd, I don't know, want to hang out with him and, and really get close. Could you imagine what would happen if we did? Not just like get out of hell free card. What if we were that tight with God? Listen. If it's a man or a woman, he consecrates an offering to take a vow of a Nazarite. By the way, there is no requirement time-wise. Did you notice that? You can be a Nazarite your entire life. I'd like that. How about you? Now, God will show that there is a big price to pay when you're, if you want to stop this thing and say, I'm done. There's a price to pay. Basically, every sacrifice there is, you're basically going to lay down. Which you wouldn't have to do if you ever just didn't stop being one. But we've already looked at what happens when you enter into a vow. It costs. Commitment costs. But breaking the commitments costs so much more. So, can I just say it this way? Uh, for Bruno or whoever else, it's like it's the price and the payoff of devotion is what we would call this. Verse three tells us the first of them. He'll separate himself from now. Wine, similar drink, neither vinegar, wine, vinegar, anything of that doesn't matter. Grapes, red grapes, green grapes, 
Purple grapes, raisins, raisin bread, raisin bran. It doesn't matter. Grape-flavored soda, just don't go near it. Why? Well, there's two aspects of it that I think we should be kind of clear of. And one of them has actually infiltrated the church over the last ten years. It comes from a really wacky view of Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit comes upon people, and they start speaking in different languages, and someone says they're full of new wine. And then they took a text out of Ephesians 5 that says, don't be drunk with much wine because it's dissipation, but rather be being filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, speaking, making melody in your heart unto God. And then it actually says, giving thanks under all circumstances and submitting to one another in the fear of God. And, and they go, well, so you don't get drunk in the world, you get drunk with God. Here's the problem. That over 11 times in scripture, that same Holy Spirit that they say you get drunk from tells you to be sober. And I'll be honest with you. I've never wanted to be drunk. Even in the days when I did stupid things to my brain cells. And the reason is there was always tragedy hanging on every curtail. And I never wanted to not be ready for that moment. Now there is this place where you could be so happy, so full of joy that all of the benefits of intoxication happen without any of the intoxication part. Think about what the word intoxication means. It means to put poison in you. In toxic. Figure it out for yourself. I just got intoxicated. Well, you should go get your stomach pumped. I just drank bleach. I'm intoxicated. I just ate hemlock. It was a lovely salad. I'm intoxicated. For dessert, lead paint. Here's the point. Is that if what we want in being intoxicated is to be happy, and the reason that we think it'll make us happy is it'll numb our brains enough so that we stop thinking about all of our problems, and for a moment it were diverted from them, wouldn't it be better if you could just actually lay your problems at the feet of the Lord? Because the problem is, it's like ignoring a bill. It doesn't go away, it gets bigger. Did you notice that? Well, I'm just going to get drunk and forget about it. Funny, tomorrow it's not going to disappear. The only thing I've learned that's a problem that you ignore will go away are your teeth. <laughs> Let you think that one through. And God wants us sober. And this is what I'm saying here. When I cling to God, things don't become less clear. They become crystal clear. If I'm going to leave everything to embrace him, to separate myself to him, it is amazing how complicated things become so simple all of a sudden. Like sitting in that room and going, I don't even want this. This is dumb. This is just harmful. And what's amazing is the more I walk with the Lord, the clearer that gets. It is like our eyes are open, isn't it? And that is kind of a crazy thing for a world around us that walks around with their eyes closed. Please hear me. The moment I said yes to Jesus, I wanted everything. I wanted everything he had for me, and thus I wanted him to have everything that I am of him, for him. And when that happened, crazy things started happening. But see, grapes were more than just intoxicating. Otherwise, why, 
what about grapes? Can you have dolmas? You know, grape leaves, stuff with stuff. He's like, grapes were a symbol of luxury. And that's my first of the three words here. See, when I cling to the Lord, here's the crazy thing. All the luxuries of the world become unimportant. I'll tell you why. Because everything I'm looking for in the world that is at best a, a brief moment of something cool has been satisfied by something eternal. It's like on this side, it's like Asian food. You know, like you're hungry in 15 minutes. And on this side is like an Italian meal in Sicily where you're like, you'll be hungry again in like six or seven weeks. You know? And you're like, I need a wheelbarrow for myself. You know? And the reason I say that is, is that you don't even ever get hungry here. There's something about what happens. And it's like all of a sudden, it's like, I don't need to be famous. And the reason is because I already am. In the household of God, I am a household name. And that is the one household I want to know me. Because, man, if every person stood up and said, oh, this guy's awesome, but God's like, who? It's not going to look so good one day. And in the side of eternity, God's not going to take a vote. When Jesus gives these parables, he gives these daunting words when he says, I never knew you. Man, I do not want that to be me. I don't want it just to be like, all right, cool. And I don't even want it to be like, all right, cool, Tony, right? I want it to be like, whoa, man. I've been holding you alive for years. I'm so glad you're home. Well done, good and faithful servant. I want it. I want it. But if I want it, I can't have that and the luxuries of the world in my heart because they my heart's not big enough. I've learned this. God made your lips. No matter how big he makes them, he's, they're still only capable of kissing one person at a time. Even Mick Jagger can't kiss more than one person at a time. And the reason I say that is, is that God created intimacy to be this, not this and this and this. And Jesus says it about money too, right? He says you can't serve two masters. And he doesn't just say, you'll love one and the other one you'll be alright with. He says you're going to love one and hate the other. You're going to pursue one and despise the other. Hey, it's like, look, it gets intense. And I don't want to be like pretending like I'm serving God, but despising Him, because what I really want is some money, which is going to be worth nothing in heaven. They're like, why don't we just cash in some gold bullion and I could bring Him to heaven? And God's like, oh, thanks, I was going to pave another road over here, so I'll just take that. I mean, really, that's what we get out of it? <coughs> I think there's a reason God paved the, the <coughs> heaven with, or New Jerusalem with, with gold, because He wanted to show us what it really is worth. And it's like, man, what? and here's the thing. And God's not going, look at, go and live in a cave monastically and, and, you know, and he's like, look at, let me be your luxury. Because the difference is, you'll actually be satisfied. I mean, I mean, satisfied, satisfied. So here I am going, oh, chasing after being famous, I've been there. It's not worth it. Being powerful, I've been there. It's not worth it. Having lots of money, I've been there. It's not worth it. And I was the most miserable I'd ever been. And I'm the most blessed I've ever been. Now. Because Christ is my luxury. Does that make sense? Oh, but that's the first of the three. The second then, notice it says, <coughs> and don't cut your hair. Now understand, your head is from your neck up. So when God starts saying, don't shave your, you know, don't cut your hair, this isn't just like, okay, I want you to get one of those 70s things with a nice little wave going on. It's like, okay, all your hair doesn't get trimmed. And that's really important because when you start talking about what happens, it's like you start looking like a homeless guy. 
Why would you do this? I'll be honest. Because the second word is vanity. See, when I start clinging to Christ, you know what becomes less important? The most important person that's been in my life since the beginning. Me. And there's something about clinging to Christ where all of a sudden, see, I'm so big in my sight, you know who I can't see is you. And how can I take care of your needs? And the world props it up. They'll say, you can't love anyone else until you first love yourself. Yeah, that's like saying you can't spend all your money on everyone else until you spend it all on yourself. Remember, love is selflessness. You'll never be selfless with everyone else until you're selfless with yourself. How does that work? And understand, I get the idea here, but if you settle accounts with the Lord and you're embracing Him, it just stops being about you. Because it starts being about him. And he becomes this beautiful, this beautiful mirror or this beautiful image, that this window I get to look through. And I look through Christ now and I see you. And I start seeing these needs. And he goes, I want to meet those needs. Can I use you now? And I'm like, but, and let's face it. You know what we do? We say, I don't want to share with that person because they might think I'm strange. There's no room for that when I'm clinging to Jesus. And the funny thing is, <coughs> you could get in such an argument on a train, you're sitting next to someone, the Lord's saying, sharing with them, you're like, mm, they're going to think I'm strange. Oh, they're, like, they're thinking you're strange right now. Because you're like in the middle of this battle going, <coughs> by the time you start sharing with them, they're going to already move a, move a chair or two. It's like, but I'd rather they think you're strange and honest and kind. You are strange. You're not going to hell. You are strange. You're not trying to go out and have sex with everyone. You are strange. You're not trying to go and get the next hit. You're satisfied. You are satisfied. That's strange. You were the only living thing in the morgue. That's strange. Everything else is there as a zombie, and you're all happy and full of joy. Hey, you know, it's like walk around Russia for a moment with a smile on your face. You're strange. They want to know. I mean, it doesn't just have to be there. Walk around, people go, so what are you on? I'm like, Jesus. And they're like, ah! I could have made up a drug, and it wouldn't have mattered. What are you on? Drano. What are you on? Like, Mr. Clean. Oh, that's fine. Jesus. Ah! That's strange. I can't tell you how many people in Camden said, you are the strangest thing we've ever seen. Camden! What? Because well, you're smiling all the time. People don't smile here. I'm full of the joy of the Lord, man. But man, if I'm so busy thinking about myself, I will never love you like you should be loved. You know why? Because I'll be too busy trying to love me. How good is that? Hey, look, when I embrace him, he says, look, there's no room for, for this earthly luxury. Now, hey, the Lord may bless you in really great ways, but the difference is when he blesses you, it becomes tools to bless others now. It isn't just stuff you can... He who dies with the most toys dies. Still, with lots of stuff he can't take with him. And then I look and I realize, but there's just no place for vanity. In a Jewish home, if somebody were to, to pass away, they cover up every mirror. Because they're like, out of respect for that person, you just stop making it about you. It should be about them. You know, ironically, you know what they all do? They all wear veils. Because they don't want you to see what they look like without their makeup on. <laughs> it's a little ironic. But the point is, it's like, look at if I was really caring about you, if I have someone actually talk to you and like do their face at the same time, 
They're like, on, I, I was sharing with somebody the other day, and they're like, no, no, I'm totally into it. But they're holding their phone up like this, I kid you not. Had their, like, you know, reverse camera thing. And they're like, oh, yeah, it's about other people. Yeah, it's about other people. I'm like, yeah. Sorry, there's you and yourself. I don't know if there's any more room for anyone else. And then there's the third one here. In verse 6, he says, And he that separates himself to to the Lord shall not go near a dead body. Because the third thing, by the way, is purity. Look at, if I'm going to cling to God, you know what there's not going to be around him? Death. That's what there's not going to be around him. You're just not going to see death because what you're going to see is life. And you watch somebody clinging to the Lord and then they take a step back, they take another step back and every step they take back, they get a little less they get closer to kryptonite and a little less more into life. And you watch it. And what happens is you watch now the joy leaves. And they're like, oh, I'm still going to church. And like, how would you walk with Christ? And they used to say, oh, awesome, man. God just touched my life and he's doing this and that. And now you're like, you were like a cartoon character. And now you're like, well, things are good. I go to church. I read. I pray. As if God's like, all right, next, Shante, all right. Tick, okay, Mariana, good, tick, tick. You really think God's doing that? Like, but there was a point where you just could not wait to get up so that you could hang out with God. You'd wake up in the middle of the night and you thanked him. You're like, oh, it's just so good to just, it's just so good to be with you. And not, are you kidding me? Three... Three! Really? Three! No, I'm not going to have a full night's sleep. Really. Thanks a lot. And God's like, I just... You've been saying you're too busy. You don't have time for me. I just made time. (laughs) Then we'll get up in the morning like, Oh, man. God, why don't we ever spend time together? (laughs) It's like you were too busy putting the pillow over your head. When I cling to the Lord, you know what? There's purity. It's interesting because those were similar to the things, by the way, that God spoke about in the last chapter. And I get this idea there's something kind of interesting because there was this luxury was the first one. There were leprosy in the first one over there. Remember how you numbed yourself to death? And that's what luxury will do, by the way. Isn't it? Don't we want luxury for the purpose of being comfortable? And then you comfort yourself to death? That's what Sardis did, by the way. You can read their, their particular letter, their evaluation, by the way, in Revelation chapter 3. Be comforted to death. And then there was the second one. Those issues. Where you were oozing stuff and you were contagious. What do we have on the side? Vanity. Isn't that what happens? We get so full of ourselves. We encourage the people around us to get full of us too. But what they really do is they wind up getting full of them themselves too. It's its own contagion. And then in the last one, last chapter, dead bodies. This chapter, dead bodies. Death is that serious. Now look at the world, there's a place where death congregates. Oh, they might dance, they might club, they might drink, but it's still death congregates. Nothing good comes out of that. I attended bar for many years before I was saved. I'm not bragging, that's by any means. It's interesting. I've never seen a guy ever say to me, my life was so terrible. I mean, my family was horrible, my bills were never getting paid, my job was terrible. Then I started drinking. And now my wife loves me, my children adore me, all my bills are paid, my life is so in order. It just doesn't happen. 
My life was so miserable. I was married to a woman who loved me. My children respect me. Then I started chasing after other women. And now my kids love me. My boss thinks highly of me. My wife, of course, adores me. It doesn't happen. And God's like, you know what? Here's the cool part. He's going, if you want to really cling to me, I'm making myself available. Do you realize how ridiculous that statement is in the first place? God says, draw near to me. I'll draw near to you. We have a God that wants to draw near to us. A God who wants to be in the center of our camp. Not a God who wants to observe from somewhere and applaud and eat popcorn and watch this whole thing and see how it works out. A God who genuinely wants to be at the very center of our lives. How about you? Because that's what he really wants. Is he really there today? Or is my life really about the world's luxuries? Or about my own vanity? I'm so busy making sure you see how I am that I don't even know who I am anymore. So listen, that was the issue with Samson. Samson was walking through a vineyard. You're not supposed to do that, because what grows in vineyards? Grapes. And what does he see there? The carcass of a lion. And then the carcass of a lion was some honey, and he reaches down and he scoops out some honey right from the carcass of the lion and he eats it. That's touching dead stuff. That's strike two. So when he gets to Delilah, you know, the hairdresser, he's already strike two at the plate. So understand... God didn't just go, don't cut your hair, buddy, or I'll kill you, or I'll make you weak. He's like, I'm, and, and you know what? God does that with us, too. He's like, you know what? How many steps has he told you? No, don't go past this. Don't do this. Oh, but I'm too much about me now. It's too much about the world now. And look, at here's the crazy thing. When, what I've learned is when I put, make the Lord the center of my scope and I really cling to him, he, he adds, but he adds without chains. You watch the guy, and he just bought the new Bentley. You know, let's face it, most of us may never for the, our entire life make the amount of money he just spent on that car. But every day now, he's polishing it, and he's waxing it. He's chasing away birds, and he's got five alarms on it. He lays awake at night and makes sure that he parks in a way that when he rolls over in his bed, he can look out the window. That thing came with chains. That chain to his soul. And you fought and you lied and you connived and you strove to get the job. And when you got the job, you're always looking around to see who's fighting and conniving or whatever to get the job from you now. Because you think everyone else was like you are. And you never sleep because that job came with chains. And you lied to get there and you have to try to remember all those lies because your boss may ask you again. That job came with chains. And you were in love with the Lord, but you saw that person and that person was fine. And they went to church and that was enough. But you had to back down now. You can't read like you could before. You can't pray like you did before because that irritates them. Hey, you got the person, but they came with chains. What the Bible says is that when the Lord adds increase, He adds no chains to it. Because it isn't about it anymore. It's about Him now. So what happens? You play play out with death. God says, you can start over. That's the most amazing thing. There's no other God that'll give you that option. They say, you blew it, you're done. He says, no, we can start over. Isn't that amazing? He says, we want to finish it? Well, then it's going to come at the price of all these sacrifices. And then we end it with this, beloved. After all of that, 
there's a part of me that says, I want to be a Nazarite for the rest of my life, but you need to know, to be a Nazarite, you're going to be separated. Here's the warning. You're going to be separated even from people who wear your jerseys. So you, there were 15 of you, there were 15 of you that ran. But of the 15 of you, two of you really wanted to run well. The others just want to make sure they passed P.E. And so what happened is you started running, but you wanted to run for the Olympics. So what happened? You started looking at Usain Bolt and saw how he stri- how he, what his stride looked like. <coughs> you started figuring out what kind of diet to have. I mean, everything changed. Because you got serious. And all of a sudden, all these people you thought you used to run with are looking and going, Oh man, you're getting overboard. You're getting crazy with that stuff. They're like, yeah, I just want to do it well. It's amazing that even wanting to do it well will make you look like a radical. Well then, sign me up for Radical 101. Because I want to be an Olympic Christian. I don't want to be somebody that God went, You made it. I had so much more for you. I had lives, family that I wanted to revolutionize, eternity I wanted impacted, and I had it for you. For you specifically. For you. Man, I've got it for you. But don't be afraid. And go, but people are going to think I'm strange. They already do. Get over it, be warmed and filled. Then be a good strange. Be the kind that's like, you know, and people say, you know, you're strange, but I I think you're a good strange. And and you know it if when they go through something, they call you. They make fun of your Jesus for five days a week, but on the sixth day, something happened, their mom got cancer, and they called you. That tells you what really started happening. And you don't go, I'll be there in two hours. I got to go and take a shower and put on my makeup. Make sure I look good for you. When their person's crying, it's like, you know what? I'm just going to go with you right now. We're going to hang out. Because it ain't going to be about me. I want to be a Nazarite for the rest of my life. I just want long hair. I'm just kidding. That's not it at all. But you're like, wait a minute, Pastor Tony. Well, what about like drinking? Is that like a just drinking? You reconcile that with God. This is what I reconcile. I want to be sober. I'll tell you why. Because we are a funky group of people here. And you need me sober. I need me sober. My kids need me sober. And I can get intoxicated by a lot of things. Not just drugs and alcohol. There are all kinds of things that can set my mind in a place where I can't think straight. I don't want it. I don't want it. So look at how this chapter ends. God's like, hey, now that we've talked about being devoted and clinging to me, I want to bless you. Let me tell you how to bless. And I've learned this, beloved. Please hear me. Please hear my heart as we bring this around now. Six things. If my heart is a Nazarite to God, which all means separated to him, this is what's going to happen. It isn't like God's going to respond. This will be the natural product. This is in verse 23. Speak to, the, speak to Aaron and his son, saying, This way you shall bless the children of Israel. That's what I want you to say. First thing. The Lord bless you. Barak. Please understand. There's a lot of things that could, quote-unquote, bless you, stoke you out, make you happy. 
But when I cling to the Lord, He's the thing that does it. And here's the difference. Everything else is temporary. You got that new iPad. Things are looking good. You're happy. You're stoked. You dropped it into the toilet. You're not stoked. It was lovely. Beautiful retina display, whatever that means. Don't even worry about the apps now. You met that person. You're stoked. They say, you're a nice person, but you're not stoked. Because it's temporary. You got that brand new car and it's beautiful, shiny, lovely. You parked it and someone parked using your bumpers just to make sure they fit in real nice and neat. And you're not so stoked anymore. Most of it's still intact, but it ain't so happy. But when the Lord bless you, you can be blessed all the time because he doesn't change. You can't ding him. You can't steal him. You can't tax him. You can't cloud him. Eternally blessed, starting now. Could you imagine? Second, and he keep you. By the way, This is the word, shemar. Can you say shemar? Try it again, shemar. It's the word when God said he put man in the garden to tend and to keep it. Same word. means to guard, to protect. Because let the Lord be the thing that guards you. Could you imagine? It tells us for what it's worth, no king is saved by a multitude of his army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. Horses vain hope for safety, neither shall it deliver in any great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. On those who hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep their soul alive in famine. Keep them alive in famine. God's the one. I, was, I saw an article. I don't see them often, but I saw an article just um, about a month and a half ago that this robbery had taken place in Croydon. Not looking at Daniel, though he lives there. He has nothing new. I would. It was an alarm factory. And that was ironic. Someone broke into an alarm shop. Stole their entire cash register. Their till. I'm like, you'd have thought that would be the hardest place to get into. It's an alarm factory. But when the Lord keeps you, he keeps you permanently. Problem was, power went out on the block. Oh, all of them were on. Sort of. They just can't stay on permanently. And the Lord wants to keep you, beloved. You ever see the person, right? You put that chain around the front tire and then what happens? Someone steals the rest of the bike. (laughs) Right? And you look on Gumtree, it says, hey, got a brand new bike, missing front tire. And you're like, "Uh uh-huh, I know what that means. I want to sell you my brand new mini iPad with no, coincidentally, no serial number. Strange. And when the Lord keeps you, he keeps you permanently. I rest at night. Craziness happens around us, but I rest at night. Is the Lord keeping you? Third of the six. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. Now understand the idea of this is that imagine if God was, his face was like a torch and he's looking at you. That means the light's in front of you and we need light to guide us. And what's guiding me at this moment is the very clarity that God's face is toward me. Everything I do, he's watching. Not to wait to put a whip in his hand 
He's actually looking to catch me doing something right. And there's something about that. To imagine being a kid where you just know your dad wants to applaud you. And like you, you know he's watching. And it's like he just, he's like, I want you to recognize God can't, he can't stop staring at you. If you're a dad, you know that feeling. Every time I walk in a room, and I've done it with both of my kids, I walk in my, the room and I see them there and I just start laughing and they both get offended. Why are you laughing at me? I'm like, I just can't smile any bigger. It's the way it is. I just stare at them. They're this works of art. Praise God they're my kids because I would look like a bizarre stalker. The love that I have for them if, it weren't, if they weren't my kids. It's like the Lord make his face shine upon you. So that, man, everywhere you go, you dwell in the light of knowing God's face is looking at you. He's staring at you right now with that big smile. We'll see that here in a moment. Be gracious to you. Never, never forget this is what God gives, not what you earn. That's what separates Jesus from everything else is that God gives you what you cannot earn. You don't have to pay your way out, work your way out, good deed your way out. God does it for you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. Countenance is the idea, by the way, the word there is plenty, literally means faces. And the idea of it there is that when you imagine looking at someone's face and you scan them for the moment to see what kind of face they're giving you, like you walk in a room and you're like, hey, and they're like, hey. You're like, uh oh. The Lord to lift up his countenance. Here's the simplest way, if I can say it this way learn to live. And delight in his delight. Have you ever had anyone that simply just looked at you with delight? Because they were just delighting in you? That's the idea here. He's like, you want to bless the people? Beloved saints of God, if you've accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, he takes great delight in you. Zephaniah 3.17 and rejoices over you with singing. Learn to delight in his delight. Could you imagine? Not only is that face looking at me and lighting my way, that face is smiling. And I, I want to close my eyes and just feel God's smile around me. You're like, oh God, that's my God. And give you peace. What if I let go of the world's luxuries? Then the Lord guards me. And the Lord blesses me. What if, (coughs) excuse me, what if I made my life one where I wasn't just full of luxury or full of my own vanity? Then the Lord could protect me and I could dwell in his pleasure, not trying to please myself. What if I kept myself from a world where I was hanging around people that all they wanted to do was walk and run away from God and it was all about death and I wasn't seeking to minister life to them. I just wanted to blend in with that group. God says, I don't want you blending in with that group. You know what happened? You'd have peace. and You'd you'd know his smile. Man, God's children should know his smile. Because man, if we knew that... Wouldn't we want to always be a Nazarite? Like, why would I want to leave this? Because all he's doing is he's just looking with that smile, saying, I love you. Are you afraid if the Lord were to speak to you that what he would say is, let me tell you what you're doing wrong? And what kind of dad would that be if that's all he ever said to you? 
But we could try to build a relationship where we avoid him and then because we, we know he has something to tell us. But if a dad really were to tell you there was something wrong, chances are it's because there's something that's interfered with your relationship. And the only reason God would address it at all is because he loves you and he wants to be with you and it's getting in the way. So listen as we pray. I want to pray this over you. As a priest, as God turns us all into priests, isn't this what we want for each of us? Hey, look at I don't know if you've ever had a dad that looked at you and smiled ever. I don't ever know if you've ever had a dad that could ever be satisfied with anything you've ever done. But if you accept the gift of Jesus Christ, you've got one from this point forward. And not just the temporary guy, you've got the one permanently who can't stop staring at you with a smile. Gracious means he, he does, he, he's just full of ideas of what he wants to give you. Things that bless you, but he wants to be your blessing. He wants to be your keeper. He wants to shine his face upon you, be gracious to you. He wants you to sense his smile, his joy, his love, his delight in you. And he wants to be your peace. Today, where are you at? Are you still trying to earn a father that's staring at you with love? And you're trying to earn something, but your earning is taking you away from a God that just wants you to rest with him? Are you busy trying to perform for a God that wants you to rest with him? Are you busy trying to impress a God that just loves you because you're his Remember when the father said about Jesus, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased? He hadn't done anything yet. He had just gotten baptized. He hadn't raised any dead. He hadn't taught any sermons. He hadn't healed any sick. So why was the father so pleased? It was in his statement, this is my beloved son. That's why. Look at, we are not born children of God. Scripture says we are born children of wrath. But my God adopts Anyone that will say yes to him. But there's a price to pay. And that price is the price of Jesus Christ who died on the cross so that all of our sins could be paid for. All our wrong could be vanquished so that we could actually come to God and be cleansed by his act. He died on the cross so we didn't have to. And he rose again to give us a new life. And that new life is an adopted life with a father that actually is this dad. Have you said yes to this God? Have you said yes? If you're not sure, you could walk out of here sure you've said yes. Because I'm going to give you that choice right now. If you have said yes, can we pray today, God, make this a reality in my life? Make this such a reality. May I dwell in this reality. And you'll never live in this reality unless we have a Nazarite heart. Because you're never going to get it from the world. And if you're trying to get God to get the world to come in line with him, to show you how important you are, you'll spend the rest of your life doing that. Oh, but he's got so much better. But that's the choice you need to make now. Will you pray with me, please? <coughs> God, I pray first for every person in here struggling with that choice. Right now, that's dealing with this fact of saying yes to you. Maybe they don't understand everything. I don't understand everything, but I know this much. If you love me, why would I say no to that? If your thoughts for me outnumber the sand on the shore... If your delight is in my surrender, if your rejoicing is in my laying myself at your feet, 
then today, I want to say yes. I want to say yes all over again. I ask your forgiveness for where I've made this less in any way than the beautiful relationship you've ordained it to be. So I pray in this room right now, if there's anyone who has that decision to make, where you want to say yes to Jesus, and it's as simple as this. He died on the cross, he rose again, and he wants to be the savior of life. He wants, he's paid for your sin, he wants you to agree with him on that. And then, he wants to be the Lord of your life. He wants to be the one now that has the right to lead you and love you, and guard you, tend to you. But he's a gentleman and he wants your permission. So I'm going to pray a prayer and I ask you to listen. And at the end of it, if you agree, I ask for you to say amen. And what you're saying is, I agree, let that prayer be my prayer now. Let those words be mine. And here it is. God in heaven, you know I'm not perfect. I know I'm not perfect. And you as a righteous judge have the right to punish all wrong. You call it sin. But you so loved me that you sent your only begotten son, Jesus the Christ, to die on the cross so that all my sin could be punished. And yet I wouldn't have to be punished in the process. So, I say yes. To Jesus as my Savior. The payment for my wrong. But just as your scripture promised, not only did he die, but three days later, he rose again from the dead. And now offers me a new life. A life no longer identified by my bondages, by the slavery that I once lived in, but now a life that is identified by a relationship with you. You as my Father. And so I say yes to Jesus as my Lord, as my love, as my life. I may not understand everything, but I know this much, Jesus. If I can hand you my life, you would certainly do better with it than I would. So here I am, I'm yours. I give myself to you now, in your name. And if you agree with that prayer, I ask you to give a confident and bold, Amen. And Lord, now I pray for every believer in this room, even those who may have just said yes to you. I pray right now, Lord, that you would be our blessing. You would consecrate our hearts in such a way that you would be our blessing. We wouldn't be chasing after other things to stoke us out when you could permanently make us blessed. So you be our blessing right now. And you be our keeper. May we find our safety in you. And Lord, that you would shine your face upon us. That we would see you looking at us as a good thing. With the joy of a father who loves. A joy of a father who can't take his eyes off his children. Who delights in them. And may we recognize that this is about grace. We will never earn the kindness you offer us. You love us because you are love. And Lord, that you lift your countenance upon us. Lord, that may we learn to live and delight in your delight. And in that be our peace. So that we don't have to run around getting drunk because you are our peace. We don't have to run around and try to escape because you are our peace. And Lord, I know that life can be real crazy. And I know that things can come at us in such a way, Lord, that they just crush our hearts. But God, be our peace. As we give ourselves to you, Lord, please consecrate our hearts unto you. Be the center 
of our camp. Be our luxury. Be the one that we seek to make large. Be our purity. As we hand you ourselves, Lord, may we sense your delight even in that. In Jesus' name.